Deshaun Tate back with you with more basketball talk, of course. You know what you're listening to. Appreciate everybody for subscribing, even for those who intend on subscribing in the near future. Of course, that would be very helpful. Uh, Tate's Take, the podcast. Let's make sure that we let our family and friends know about that uh, in which they can subscribe. And appreciate everybody for listening at Tate's Take Hoops on the Twitter, all the social media platforms, all of that good stuff. Uh, as well as, you know, there were uh, on, you know, Red Circle and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and the whole nine. So if you love, you know, 24-7, nothing but 110% basketball, you know, on the high school level, which I'm really looking forward to going and checking out some uh, some games this upcoming weekend. You got the holiday uh, hoops giving, uh, considering this Thanksgiving week, of course. Happy early Thanksgiving to all of you as it is. Thanksgiving Eve right now, uh, so looking forward to that. And even one of my favorite players in the class of 2020 is my favorite player in the class of 2020. I'm not sure if he's the best player, but I think that he will certainly show that he is in that conversation when the time comes. And Josh Christopher out of uh, out of Mayfair, uh, California, taking on um, Auburn commit in – uh, Sharif Cooper and McEachern High School. Had a little bit of a brain fart there just for a quick second. I had to think about it, but nonetheless, looking forward to that. Of course, plenty of college basketball. We're going to get into some of these preseason tournaments and whatnot and stand up to date with that. And, of course, we know about the NBA and, you know, who's been looking good. I'll tell you one thing real quick before we jump into the college basketball portion of this podcast. Uh Man, Luka Doncic certainly looks like he is on, you know, on his way to being the best player in the NBA uh, relatively sooner than later. That's for sure. Certainly within the next few years or so, I would imagine that would be the case and probably looking at an MVP uh, in his face at that point. So I'm just going to kind of run down the top 25 here for college basketball and I know a lot of this is going to change because there's been some upsets and whatnot but just kind of want to give you guys a little bit of a of a take on uh some of the things that you know we've seen in college basketball happen so far so I know that it's been a little while but what other take is there better than Tate's take so uh what is this week four now I believe week yeah week four of the college basketball rankings Duke number one for now Louisville, number two, Michigan State, three, Kansas, four, Maryland, five, North Carolina, six, Virginia, seven, Gonzaga, eight, Kentucky, nine, Ohio State, ten. Of those top ten, let me give you a little bit of a briefing. So we saw Duke, let's start at the top, because everybody likes to start at the top. We saw Duke fall uh, to Stephen F. Austin. No, I have no idea. I know what state it's in. I know it's in Texas. Uh, but what city is that in? Couldn't tell you. Sorry. Uh, somebody told me earlier, and I, I can't pronounce it properly, uh, like not Nagadocious, Texas, or something crazy like that. But um, that was obviously one of the more phenomenal endings in that we've seen uh, quite some time for uh, college basketball so far, especially this season. But even in the history of college basketball, where I think it's been since what two thousand. Or in 1999, uh, somewhere right up in that range, it was St. John's that beat Duke uh, in terms of non-conference opponents that were unranked at Cameron Indoor Stadium. 
I think that that's pretty significant. That's, I mean, almost 20 years. That's certainly got to be right up there on the list somewhere near at the top of upsets. And I know everybody, all the all the Kentucky fans are going to point to that Duke loss, and all the Duke fans are going to point to the Kentucky loss against Evansville the last couple of weeks. I don't think that we've ever seen anything that quite looked like this to begin the season where we've got, what, six or seven max games that have been played in the college basketball season so far. We've already got three number one teams that lost Obviously, everybody remembers that the you know first game of the season at the Champions Classic at Madison Square Garden, which I was so happy to be at. And, of course, I was the guy that was crying because uh, of all the tradition and the history and um, just everything that goes along with that. But, you know, that's where we saw Tyrese Maxey, who hung 27 points or 26 points, rather, on Michigan State. Feels like he's still hanging points on Michigan State right now. Um so they dethrone Michigan State. You know, that was a number one versus number two. They dethrone Michigan State, and Michigan State falls in the rankings all the way to the number three spot. I would suspect that they're going to get ready to be um, falling here pretty soon as they lost to Virginia Tech in the Maui Invitational earlier this week just before beating um, the Georgia Bulldogs and then the UCLA Bruins. But, um. You know, we saw them fall, and then, you know, Duke becomes, uh, or, or not um, not Duke, but uh, Kentucky becomes number one. They lose to Evansville at home, which is ridiculous to think about. We thought that would probably be the biggest upset of the season, at least of the regular season, in case we see something much crazier than that during the tournament. Maybe another 16 versus one, but as much as that felt like it would be the biggest, and maybe even the 16 versus one, type of loss it had that feel with Walter McCarty who's from Evansville Indiana and won a national championship at Kentucky in 96 and then turns around and they get and he gets that win leading his uh leading that team where he comes from and just thinking about everything that win did and then next thing you know Stephen F. Austin comes out of nowhere and beats Duke at Cameron Indoor Stadium but just the thought of all this not only have we seen three number ones fall in the first three weeks or first six games of the season, but on top of that, for two of those, you know, three losses to be against unranked teams and not just unranked teams. Like, that's the thing. When you start thinking about how how big of a deal that this really is, like, it's not even just about the fact that it's against an unranked team, but furthermore, it's against mid-major programs or low-major programs, actually. Like, you know, you got your mid-majors, your West Coast Conference teams, your Gonzagas and St. Mary's and everybody else like that, you know, your MAC Conference teams and things like that, you know, Central Michigan. But these are lower than that. These are, you know, low conference or, or low um, low prestige type of, you know, type of programs. And I think that that's what makes it so much bigger. And it happened not on a neutral site. This wasn't a matter of, you know, Duke traveling to Stephen F. Austin to try and give him some money and then ended up losing the game on the road and just so happened to be that it was bad scheduling. Like, no, this happened when uh, they welcomed this team on their home floor, essentially. Well, basically, that is exactly what happened. I'm going to tell you why I'm a little bit happy that it happened to Duke, and I won't be the guy to sit up here and lie to you. I'm not... I'm not a Duke fan. I'm more of a Duke hater than I am a Duke fan, but I do respect Duke. I am one of the people that says, you know, at least I do respect Duke. But one thing that I never really respected about Duke was the fact that they don't go on the road in a true road game in the non-conference to play a team. I don't like that. It has the feel of, I know that there's going to be some people that hear this and they don't particularly like it, especially down here in the South. I'm in Atlanta. 
but you know, you you see Alabamas and Auburns and you know LSU's and all these other teams, and it's not just to pick on the SEC because you see it in a lot of different you know programs, but even in the back in the Big Twelve and just a lot of you know ACC, you see a lot of teams that will welcome the teams from the Midwest and from up north and a lot of times even, you know, on the West Coast down to the South to play the games to understand that's where a lot of the money is and that's where the nice weather and all that other kind of stuff is. But they never, ever travel up north to play a game, except for I'll give one exception. Last year when Georgia played, what was it, Notre Dame up in South Bend? And not even that. It was really like freezing cold, plummeting temperatures. It was, what, August? Uh, or early September, but at least they made the trip and they went in South Bend, touched down Jesus, and they went in there and they got a win. I can at least respect that. It's hard to respect a, you know, a, a team that won't be willing to do that, a program or a conference or whatever, what have you. just want to throw that out there. And that's one reason why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling about Duke basketball because they never really go on the road to play against you know, uh, uh, like a, a true road game, unless the asterisk is, of course, going to be well, ACC Big Ten Challenge or one of these special showcases or something like that. Nah, bro. I'm talking about a a, 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 a a game in which you decided to schedule on your own voluntarily. That's just how I'm feeling about that. Let's just be honest about it. Louisville checking in at number two. Um, in the rankings in which, I mean, Louisville, Louisville's got good players. Louisville's got a good team. Jordan, Awara, all these guys. I mean, they've got a, they've got a good team. I think that they have a little bit more balance between the defense and the offensive end, and they're obviously well coached. Uh, I think they're going to be the team that win the ACC. I've been saying it coming into the season, and I don't think that that's really going to change very much. Um, I think that they will be the team. Love Cole Anthony. Love, love, love Cole Anthony. I'm not a big guy on New York guards and all that kind of stuff, but I love, love, love Cole Anthony. Not really like Vernon Carey a lot. Cassius Stanley has really surprised me at Duke because I just personally thought that he was going to be one of those guys that ended up, you know, being obviously being athletic and all this, but coming from the West Coast, you travel across the country, you go to Duke and – Things don't necessarily, you know, I don't see him as being like an ACC player. I really didn't see that. He's certainly been proving me wrong. I thought he was a West Coast dude, an Arizona State, uh, a Cal, I mean, uh, not Cal, UCLA or, you know, USC, something like that, like one of those type of guys, Oregon, something right up in that range. He went to Duke and playing for Coach K, and he's looking really good. He's a little on the older side. He's 20 years old as a freshman, but, you know, he's making it work for him. But, man, do they have some problems up in Durham with Matthew Hurt. I think that's going to be the piece that's going to hurt them. My expectations have been a whole lot higher for him, and he has not come through. He has not at all. And I would like to see uh, uh, Alex O'Connell. He's been getting, you know, been getting a little bit more playing time out of Milton, Georgia. I like to see him shoot the ball a little bit better. Granted, I'll give credit to that. However, in the same token, I I think that he should get a little bit more touches sometimes so that he can get in the groove and feel really good. Trey Jones has been playing good. That's the obvious. I don't think, you know, anybody would disagree with that. And I know that he's a, a, a great defender, on-ball defender, but there's going to be times when they're going to need him to make jump shots, and he's just not able to do that. And, man, Vernon Carey is certainly looking like the uh, Jalil Okafor kind of 
you know, all over again at Duke. And this reminds, speaking of Jaleel Okafor, this Duke team, I talked to a lot of people, and they say that this reminds them a lot of that 2015 team, the last team that we've seen that was stacked with talent in terms of the freshmen uh, that won national championship. And I'm not going to say Duke's going to be the team to do that, especially just one day after less than 24 hours from losing to Stephen F. Austin. Um, but I don't think that that's something that will make their season necessarily. Um, but they also don't have the upperclassmen that brings the contribution in the production that the 2015 national championship team did for Duke. Now, I know that in a roundabout way, bringing it back around full circle, this is a Louisville team who the last time the Final Four was in, in Atlanta, they won the national championship. That was when Kevin Ware went through that ugly injury and all that kind of stuff, and they just kept slowing it down, his bone popping up out of his leg. Ugh. I just got the chills and the and the uh, the heebie-jeebies, I guess, if they still call it that. I know the cool kids probably don't call it that, but the goosebumps, if you will. Louisville check, <clears throat> excuse me. Louisville checks in at number two, and deservedly so. And they're probably going to be the number one team in the country. You know what? I thought that they were. Uh, there was no question in my mind that they would eventually be a ranked number one at some point this upcoming season. However, I obviously I wouldn't say that they were going to stay there throughout the course of the whole season, but you know, I saw flashes of this Louisville team that we're going to get ready to see this year that I think is still going to look really good, despite the fact that they're going to take some L's because they're in such a tough conference in the ACC after they went up by what, 26 points or something like that on Duke last year. And Duke came all the way back and stormed back in a win. Actually, I think that was 25 points. Don't ask me how I remember that. I can remember all these stats and scores and players and conferences and all this other type of stuff that's happened way before my time of me even being born, but I can't even keep up with my own dog on wallet for crying out loud. <laughs> Just keeping it real. But however, that being said, you know, Louisville's one of those teams that uh, certainly could be getting a number one seed when the time rolls around to uh, the NCAA tournament brackets. And uh, while I think that they do have a good team, you know, and, and seeing them coming into the week, who did they play the other day? I can't even think of who the team was that they played the other day. It wasn't Kent State because I know Ohio State played them the other day, but it was Akron. Akron, they played Akron. I think that it was like a 19-point spread or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that – they Louisville looks like they're about to wrap the nap, the wrap the nap, uh, the napkin around their neck <laughs> on 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 Akron and it ended up being just a four point, you know, a four point win or a six point win somewhere right up in that range. I think right around single digits. And at that point is when I was like, eh, I don't know about them, but this goes to show there's no clear cut. Number one, like if I'm if I'm anybody, I don't want to be in that number one spot. If I'm Louisville, I don't want to be ranked number one in the country. I don't want that <laughs> looking at. You know, Michigan State and Kentucky and Duke, these are blue bloods that clearly were expected to be really good this year and still will be really good this year. But don't I don't want that number one spot. Louisville looks like they're not going to have much of a choice unless Kansas can find a way to pull away from a game that they're playing right now against an undersized Dayton team that's being highly competitive against them. And on top of that, you know, it, 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 I mean, just realistically speaking, I don't know. You know, Louisville, Louisville's got to come with it. You know, they're going to have their work cut out for them in the future. But uh, I, I like the team that they have. Uh, I, I really do, especially Perry on the defensive end. I know that we talk a lot about you know how great uh, uh, Trey Jones is from 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 Duke on the perimeter defense and 
how good uh, Ashton Higgins is on perimeter defense, who I really like a lot uh, from Kentucky. But, you know, as much as I like Ashton Higgins and Trey Jones, you know, I got to give some credit to Perry as well, you know, from Louisville because he does such a great job on the perimeter defense. Michigan State, the reality is this. They check in at number three in the rankings. And, I mean, if I'm just – we're just being straight about it. I mean, I don't even know where to start on this. I think Izzo's got some ways a little bit that he's some habits, some things that he's got to get out of a little bit in regards to how he's coaching the guys. I think that, you know, I mean, he's doing a good job coaching, but, you know, sometimes the rotations, you know, uh, I think that that's a little bit needs some adjusting. You know, the things change. Generate with, with what comes, you know, with the time and generations, they change. I don't know why Marcus Bingham is not playing. If he's not, you know, if he's not ideal and he's too thin in the front court, you know, to play against Seton Hall in the game that they want, that Michigan State won, and he's, you know, not an ideal fit to play against, you know, a Virginia Tech team and get in the game and, and, and get and clock up some minutes and get some reps, you know, against a Virginia Tech team who's probably tallest player is what, six, seven, maybe? We're talking about a seven-foot guy who can stretch the defense with his perimeter shooting. If he can't get in the game against either one of those guys, then when can he get in the freaking game? I don't think we're going to ever see anybody that says, oh, yeah, you know, ever in life that'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that Michigan State team back in 2020. Yeah, they started Thomas Kithier. Yeah, I don't think that we'll ever hear that, ever in life. It's just what I'm a believer in anyways, but – you know, you got to have a little bit more to give than Cassius Winston. I, I don't know who the second option scorer is on this team, especially when we're talking about consistency. You know, is that guy Xavier Tillman? I don't get the feel. I think that he's going through some things right now that is very similar to Dray- what Draymond Green is going through. The pieces around you are hurt or left, in this case, for Michigan State and went on to the NBA or graduated, i.e., Nick Ward, i.e., uh, Matt McQuaid, i.e., Kenny Goins, similar to Draymond Green, where he doesn't have the, you know, D'Angelo Russell plays from time to time, of course, and all the league management and all that crap going on. But, you know, you don't have the Clay Thompson and you don't have the Steph Curry. And I think when you have that bullseye on your back, you got that target on your back, then, you know, you're going to be the guy that people defer to. And people got high expectations, especially if you're Draymond Green and you're getting paid a whole lot of money. Now, I'm not trying to compare Draymond Green, who's a Michigan State great, to a Xavier Tillman, who I don't think will be a Michigan State great, but I think has the potential to be a really good Michigan State college player. However, but the roles, the situations, I guess, are the same, are, are very similar, that's for sure. But I don't know if he's going to be that second guy. I don't think he will be, especially from a scoring standpoint. Then you have Gabe Brown, who I really like. Pretty good score, sneaky athleticism, probably the best shooter on the team, last name, not Winston, but the consistency. And that's the same issue with Aaron Henry, the consistency all over again. Then we have issues in that department. Mm. So there you go. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm concerned that he's, 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 he gets wrapped up in being, you know, rode by Izzo all the time so much that it's almost as if he can't go out and play his game. And is that really his fault or any of the players? No, not necessarily. A lot of that is on Tom Izzo. But who am I to tell the Hall of Fame great how to coach his team, especially coming off a of Final Four? Just please don't take Cassius Winston out of the game after picking up just two fouls sometimes. That's just ridiculous. 
25 minutes out of 40 and you're out here losing to Virginia Tech, that's not a good look. In your last little bit more than handful of games, a handful and a half of games, you are Michigan State basketball who worked yourself to being in the same conversation as a Duke, a Kansas, a Carolina, a UCLA, a Kentucky, and you're out here losing games. Not just to anybody, but to Virginia Tech and Texas Tech. And I know people are going to say, well, Texas Tech made it all the way to the national championship. They were a good team. Yeah, because they beat you. That's why. And not only that, but if I would have told you entering that Final Four last year where I'm still so disappointed, not as disappointed as I am being a Michigan State guy uh, that I was in 2009 when they played North Carolina, which most people would have expected, yeah, Michigan State's going to get the, they're going to get the, the, the floor wiped with them. <laughs> by North Carolina, in which they did in their own backyard in Detroit. Still feel a little sour about that, but yet still in this case, if I would have told you going in, then the final four at the beginning of the year with Zion and all that other type of stuff, going into the season at the beginning of the year, I would have told you the final four is going to come down to Auburn, Virginia, Michigan State, and Texas Tech. You'd have told me probably Michigan State's going to win the national championship, especially coming off of Virginia, regardless of despite of their um you know, having everybody coming back and all that type of stuff and you know, uh Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter and all that type of stuff, they're coming off of losing to a sixteen seed. That's just the reality of it. Nobody was believing in them. They've gotten to the Elite Eight. They ran into Michigan State many times. They're still not going to win. Again, because they have their number. You would have told me Michigan State's going to win the national championship. And here again, they're looking at it right in the face. And they're not even looking like a team that good. But you know, it's still early November. Michigan State typically looks really good around the top of the, uh, around the end of the year. Let's move away from Michigan State here for a second. Because I can talk about that one all day. Kansas, after that, you know, there's going to be some instances where you're going to see Kansas who, being a team that last year did not win their conference in the regular season or at least take a share of it for, what, in 14, 15 years? That's freaking crazy. That's ridiculous. Who won it? It was a Kansas State shared it with Texas Tech, and now Kansas look like they're going to run it all over again. And they're a big team, and they're a good team, and they're a well-coached team. I know that they got their issues within the NCAA Think about all the guys that came through there and probably picked up a little bit of a paycheck. Whew. Man. Some of the names I've heard thrown out there. Jeez. Just the just just the just the thought. I don't even know where to start or end with that one. It's like my mind is like drawn a little bit of a blank because there's so many names to go through. Cliff Alexanders and Billy Prestons and and Xavier Henry's and and who else are we? Sure, uh, not not Sharon Collins. Who's the other guy that I'm thinking of? Jeez. Oh, I can't think of this kid's name from Chicago. Point guard. Mm. Flooded with too much useless information. I guess is probably the issue here. But Silvio D'Souza's in that conversation, and Czech Diallo is in that conversation, and. I don't know, probably Andrew Wiggins probably got his hands greased, and we don't know necessarily about um, some of the other players, you know. But there's a strong possibility that Joel Embiid or somebody like that, who knows. But at the end of the day, they're a really good team, and I expect them to take care of business in the Big 12. But they, they're not 
far away from being the Kansas that we can see getting upset by a Bucknell. Like, I don't really see that they're much different. Even when they had the twins, the Morris twins, Marcus and Markeith, I'm not sure that this team is necessarily as good as that one. That was, what, a game away from going to the Final Four, I think? What was that, 2010, maybe? 2011? Actually, wait, 2010, 2011. What was the year VCU went? Yeah, what year was that? I want to say that was 2011. Yeah, VCU. Connecticut. Kentucky. Butler. Yeah, I think that was that range, the Kimball Walker year. But we'll see. We'll learn a lot. I had a lot of respect for Abaji, and this is a team that didn't look all that good, had about 30 turnovers at Madison Square Garden in the Champions Classic earlier this year, and I wasn't really impressed by that by any stretch. And Yudoka Azabuki looks like a man in the middle a lot of times. and But there's just something missing about Kansas that I just can't put my finger on, and I don't trust it. At number five, you got Maryland. I've been the guy that say, you know, when it comes to Maryland basketball, and I'm not going to run through the whole top 25. I'm just going to run through the top 10 right now. We'll get into the rest of the top 25 probably on, what, Friday. But when I'm thinking about Maryland basketball, this looks like a team, and I know that they're good. I know they got sticks. What's his name? Jalen Smith, a really good player. A, a, a really good – that's one player that not a lot of people are talking about that's going to come out of nowhere, and he's he's going to – He's going to look pretty good. He might not be Chris Wilcox, but he's he's all right. I can say that much. He's all right. I think their point guard play is still a little bit questionable to, for, for me, a little bit too questionable. But going back to what I was saying, I think that Maryland would be more so of the team, I think, that would miss the tournament before they go to the Elite Eight this year. I'm just not a big believer. I know that that sounds crazy, and they're ranked in the top five and everything else. I just, I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. And there's no number one. There's no clear-cut favorite. And that's the thing that I love about college basketball this year, that nobody is looking like the most dominant team in the country. With all the losses, Duke and Michigan State and Kentucky and all the you know, the, the the issues that they have. Kentucky being youthful, like always. Duke being youthful, like always. And, I mean, Kentucky's big, much like Kansas, but they don't have the experience. Duke has scoring issues a lot of times. Michigan State just let three guys comp- co- combine for 100 points. Tyrese Maxey with 26. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, Miles Powell from from Seton Hall with 37. Whew, just dude, Ant-Man. Whew. Anthony Edwards from Georgia, freshman. Somewhat expected, but after four points in the first half and you're up by 20? 30? I'm sorry, if you're Michigan State playing again. And guess what? What happens in the second half? Georgia comes back. They cut the deficit to two points. Mm-hmm. That's 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 deep. That's not telling me very much. He scored thirty seven. That's a hundred points, depending on if you went to public or private school. You add all that up. That's a lot of points. Michigan State's perimeter defense just really is not good, and I'm not sure that I see very much different out of Maryland. Now Maryland, they've been playing good basketball, but we haven't seen them against anybody. I'm not sure anybody's on their radar. 
there's another team in the Big Ten that I think is more superior than they are and will, if not match Michigan State for the regular season crown and you know conference tournament crown and whatever else, what have you, that probably will surpass them and, and actually win it, not even just challenge them for it, but will probably run away with it and has the potential of beating Michigan State both times. I'll get into them at number 10. Then you have North Carolina, which outside of, you know, if I'm just being honest, outside of the other half of the Anthony brother, <laughs> you know, Cole Anthony, like, and I call Cole Anthony and Anthony Edwards the Anthony brothers. It's just one of the things that I do. I know that they're not actually brothers. But, like, when I'm looking at this, like, I, I mean, realistically, like, I'm not sure what they are outside of Cole Anthony. I'm just... I'm not I'm not sure. I see the numbers he puts up and what he's doing. I know it's his team and this kid is athletic and he's good. Let me tell you something. If you're the New York Knicks and you got top 3 pick in the draft and you don't pick this kid and he's his roots, he's ba- he is based out of New York. And I told you, I don't I don't fall in love with New York based point guards. And I think sometimes they dribble the air out of the ball a lot of times. This dude is good and he can dribble the air out of this basketball all day. This one right here. I'm holding it. Can you hear it? Much better handles than me as I'm about to break something here in the studio. But nonetheless, this dude is this dude this dude is legit. You go and get him. You want to make some changes within the organization. You start at point guard and you go and get Cole Anthony. But I'm not sure what they are outside of him. There's nothing that really says, "Oh, North Carolina." Yeah, oh yeah, North Carolina. Man, you gotta you gotta really watch out for those targets. I know two things that they're always gonna do. They're always gonna get up and down and transition. They're always gonna clean up the glass. Always. That's just who North Carolina is. That's who they're always going to be no matter who they're playing. Armando Baycott. I'm not sure if he's 100%, but it doesn't really matter. Teams are going to play him like he's 100%. He's going to get in there. He's going to rebound. He is the equivalent of Sean May and Kennedy Meeks all over again. Same doughy body type. The whole nine. I wouldn't go as far as saying he's got the worst body in the NBA uh, in college basketball. He's got one of them. I think the worst body in in college basketball is probably Cassius Winston. <laughs> and to match that, worst body in the NBA is probably Kyle Lowry. I wonder who has a worse body. Let's take a poll on that <laughs> in co- between college basketball and the NBA. Let me know on the on the on the Twitter at Tate's Take Hoops T A T E S T A K E H O O P S. Who has a worse body, Cassius Winston or Kyle Lowry? Checking in at number seven is where you have Virginia, who has been just a monster on the on the defensive end. I mean, they've just they've realistically they've just been they've been killing it. I mean, they've gone back to the old vintage Virginia type of team. That's just what they, that's what they look like. They look like the old Virginia before the Kyle guy and all the, like the, the, when those guys were probably like freshmen or sophomores, like they look like those guys before they got even a sniff of some scoring, before you could even mention anything about Virginia actually having a decent scoring team. That's what they look like all over again. This Kiahi Clark kid, I really like him. I know everybody's in love with Mama D, Diakite, and I know that Braxton uh, Key is out indefinitely with an injury, and we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, this this Clark kid, 
He looks like it looks like I might weigh a little bit more than he does and even be taller than him. And that's likely. But I've been impressed with this kid since he jumped on campus. And even before then, when I saw him as a backcourt mate along with uh, James Akinjo from who's currently the starting point guard at Georgetown, they were backcourt teammates on the AAU uh, Nike EYBL circuit with the Oakland Soldiers, and they won the championship that year in the uh, at the Peach Jam. But I was like, who is this kid? Little Asian kid. Ain't very many tall Asian people around. That's not a surprise. Then again, Yao Ming probably has something to say about that. But nonetheless, this kid can really play. Like, really play. I think his best offer at that point, I think he had, I don't think, I think it was just a verbal commitment, not even a, 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 a signed or a, um, or a uh, yeah, I don't think he was a signed player. I think he was he wasn't a signed commit. He was a verbal commit to UC Davis. I think that was one of the best offers he had. Next thing you know, what happens? Whoop! Tony Bennett comes in, scoops him up, and the rest is history. He's a starting point guard as a freshman on a national championship team. That is ridiculous. Teams are scoring thirty four points at the end of the game against Virginia. This season, who's currently still undefeated, hence why they're ranked at number seven. And there's going to be teams that are going to fall beyond that. Michigan State's going to be one of them. I doubt if Duke is one of them, but Michigan State will be. After their loss to Virginia Tech and their second loss of the season, like, they're legit. They're right there. And I think that they should be, even as a national champ who still haven't lost, why aren't they ranked ahead of Maryland? I can understand not being ranked ahead of, you know, Duke or Louisville or whatever. Some people are going to say, well, you know, Duke has a loss already and Kansas has a loss already because they lost to Duke and Duke lost to a team. They get... But Virginia should certainly be up there. I think that there's not a reason as to why Duke, uh, Virginia should not be ranked in the top five to uh, start out next week when the polls roll out. They are the true definition of a team. I know they play really hard defense and all this and that, and and it gets boring, and it's like they just squeeze the air out of the ball all the time. And, you know, you got a 30-second shot clock in college now, so what they'll do is, you know, they'll – They'll, 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 they'll run 25 seconds off the clock and take a shot and then, you know, get the offensive rebound and kick it back up top for a reset, and it'll be 20 seconds. That's probably the reason why they moved the shot clock reset on a, on an offensive rebound from, you know, from 30 seconds to 20 seconds. And Killian Tilly is back for Gonzaga, who checks in at number eight. And, uh... Petrusev, I think is his last name. These guys, their front court is going to be pretty stacked. Their front court is going to be really good. And the thing about Gonzaga for why they're always going to be up there and in contention for a number one spot is because in the non-conference, they typically do pretty good, at least at bare minimum. I know they lost last year. Was it to Kansas or Tennessee? They lost to and somebody else. I can't remember exactly. I feel like it was uh, Kansas or somebody, but maybe even if not, I mean, they're going to take their lumps early, but you better believe after they take their one or maybe two, they're going to run through the West Coast Conference and be in contention for a number one seed. But the the issue with that is always probably going to be the fact that they don't play anybody and people are always going to have that gripe and you're never really going to know exactly who they are. And once you do figure out exactly who they are, it's going to be in the tournament and that's when they're going to take the big fat L. But they got a good team and they're well coached. I'm not mad at Mark Few for never going anywhere. 
He's got a team of his own. He's doing it the way. I mean, it's like transfer you at this point, essentially. I need to take a look at their schedule and see who they have coming up because that in itself, I think, is what's going to ultimately be interesting. You can find that out. I'll let you know exactly who that team is. Uh, I'll tweet that out at Tate's Take Hoops. So you can maybe give me a little bit of an assessment. Number nine rolling out is Kentucky. Man, after that loss to uh, Evansville, I mean, a lot of people thought they were just going to come out and kill it. Like, oh, man, they're pissed. They're coming out. They're just going to destroy whoever's in their way. And up next was who? Utah Valley out of the WAC conference. And they just really didn't look that good then either. I mean, they struggled down the stretch. And if you know anything about them, they struggled the year before. They played Vermont and almost lost in that game. And Utah Valley, both games at Rupp Arena, and they almost lost those games. So there's going to be games where they look like that, and there's going to be games when they look like how they did against Michigan State and obviously look really good. I'm not a... I'm not buying the Nick Richards thing the way everybody else is, and E.J. Montgomery is way too consistent. I know that he's a Georgia kid, and uh, I'm not in love with, with him at all, but I, I, think that he, I think that he's better than Nick Richards, in my opinion. I just think he's more versatile. You know, I told you I love Ashton Hagens, and if he can find a way to get his scoring up a little bit more, in which I think he's more than capable of doing that, his perimeter defense is, uh, I mean, he's arguably the best one in the country at that. But even on on top of that, I'm just being honest, looking at the rest of this team, Keon Brooks, I, I don't see it yet. And it's still early. What are we? We don't even have a handful, two handfuls of games in yet. Barely a handful, a handful and a half. Tyrese Maxey looks good. Khalil Whitney's all right. I'm not buying into the, you know, uh, into the um, – into all the hype of all the freshmen, the way a lot of people typically do. But Emmanuel quickly and all that, I'm, I'm, I'm not buying into all those guys. They look like they got a, a roster full of guys that typically are kind of somewhat in a roundabout way do the same thing. And they're not far from looking like the team that ended up losing that game to Evansville, where I don't even know if they – had, what is it, any assist? No, they had assists. Was it six assists or something like that? It's ridiculous just to think of in that game. I don't know if they're going to take everybody serious all the time, and that's the issue that you're going to have. I don't care if you're Memphis. I don't care if you're Duke, whatever. These teams that are taking a page out of Coach Calipari's book are going to have a lot of the similar same issues. Hopefully just not the ones that Coach Cal typically has every time the game it's a crunch situation, a crunch, a clutch possession and you got to make some you got to you got to go to the free space on the Tate's take bingo card is what I like to call it the free throw line and they typically don't do very well about that in the, in those regards they've put they've left a lot of national championships on the table if I'm just being honest like let's just look at it like since he got there 2010 what was that John Wall DeMarcus Cousins they lost to West Virginia in the Elite 8 everybody thought that was easily a national championship team 2011, same type deal. You get all the way to, what, the Final Four with Brandon Knight and those guys, you end up losing to who, UConn? You left that one on the table. Not saying UConn's a bad team, but you left it on the table. That's just the reality of it. 2012, you did cash out, but you followed that up with 2013 and you lose to Robert Morris in the NIT. You didn't even make it to the NCAA tournament with Nerland's Noel, for crying out loud. 
2014, you turn right back around and you're what? An eighth seed in the NCAA tournament after you take care of Wichita State, who feel like they got done very wrong by putting the same bracket as them when they were undefeated. Nonetheless, they come out and they go all the way. They, they beat Wisconsin in the Final Four. They go to the national championship game and they lose to Connecticut again. With that team, Julius Randle and all those guys, the Twins, the Harrison Twins, yeah, they left that one on the table too. 2015, oh, I don't know if there's a bigger one that they left on the table than that one, <laughs> where you got all, where you where you got the crew, the 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 Booker and the Carl Anthony Towns and you know the the uh, uh, um, was it Trey Lyles? I think it was or was his name yeah Trey Lyles or something. Eh, they just got they had a monster squad. Got a feeling if they played Duke, they would have put Duke out. But nonetheless, they didn't even have the opportunity to show that. That's not me hating on Duke. That's just who I think was going to win the game. And I've been more than than wrong about a lot of their matchups with Duke, including that Champions Classic. It was it two years ago or last year rather, <laughs> when Zion and them put they were up forty on those boys and put up a hundred and what, hundred and twenty eight points or something like that on them. That got ugly quick. Nick Sestina out right now. That's one of their, you know, grad transfers. What's going to happen with him? Who's going to replace him in that role? Because now you have the bullseye on your back like you always do when you are Kentucky. That's what comes along with being Kentucky. And walking, you know, getting a home game at Rupp Arena isn't the easiest thing in the world anymore, if I'm just being honest. Clearly, ask Walter McCarty. Do we, must we go on 2016? Remember what happened 2016. Is that the one where they put out North Carolina? Oh, no, it got beat by North. I'm trying to think. That was a tough one. I'm trying to think of who put out Kentucky in 2016. But one of those is certainly where you had, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk and all those guys. Yeah, North Carolina put them out. Big time shot by uh, by Luke May. That's what that was. That had to be the 2016 year because the 2017 year is the year that they won the national championship in Arizona. Or, or, or no, that was North Carolina that won that one. So yeah, that that was that one. 2016. I'm still trying to figure out who it was that Kentucky lost to, but I'm sure that they still had a stacked squad. I'm almost positive of that. 2018, what was that? Same deal? (laughs) Like, no, that's right. 2000 and, and, um, what, 18? Who was that one? Like, there's a a new team. What was it, Kansas State in 2018? 2019, Auburn, an in-conference foe? Like, you got to be kidding me. You're leaving way too much on the table. I don't want to bore you guys with talking about all the things that Kentucky has not done to a national championship. But one thing I've always been kind of curious of is what does that fan base think of that exactly? Like, like what do they – being a fan base in an institution that does nothing but hang national championship banners, having a guy like Coach Calipari come in who I don't question or doubt – 
uh, wants to win national championships, but it's clear that what's more important, and I'm not terribly mad at him for it, is making sure that these families stay fed and get an opportunity to eat by sending guys off to the NBA draft. And I think that that's such a wonderful thing. But what does the fan base think about getting top five star talent and chip blue chip recruits and <clears throat> excuse me, everything else every year, but never get a chance to finish the deal. And if nobody cares more about winning in basketball and especially particularly uh, specifically uh, uh national championships and they're not getting that what is that fan base are they just pissed like are they fed up or are they saying you know what this is what it is and who it is and we'll take our chances with it the same way we did in 2012 maybe we'll get lucky and win another one i don't know that's always had me kind of curious and the team that i teased that i think is going to be right there with michigan state in the end to challenge at least at bare minimum is probably looking like the best team in the country right now if i'm just being honest despite who they played i know they took care of uh, Villanova and, and smacked them up by a good 30-piece at Value City Arena. And they're probably getting, I don't know if they're eating the same thing that the football team is eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or what the case is, but they've come out and they are hot. I mean, they've got they've got some players. Carlton and, and, and Liddell and, I mean, they, they've, They've got some players. Caleb Wesson up front in the middle. And they're trying to get back to Atlanta for the first time for the at the Final Four. Not for the first time because I know they went in 2012 and ended up losing that uh, particular game to who? Kansas, I think it was. I feel like that's who it was. Or was it Louisville? One of those two teams in 2012, I'm almost certain. Let's see. Uh, was that Kentucky? Yeah, Kentucky beat Louisville. Yeah, and then Kansas, yeah, Thomas Robinson, blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, they went to the national championship game and played for it in 2007 before they ended up losing to Florida. But I tell you what, Ohio State is trying to get back to Atlanta, and they're trying to win the whole thing. Now, they have a very unique mixture and balance of youth and experienced players and I think that certainly Chris Holtman, since his time there, I think he's been the most underrated, underappreciated, undervalued head coach, uh, arguably, in the country, certainly within the Big Ten, that nobody's really been paying much attention to. But if there's a team that people say, surprise me, who will be that surprise team? Who's the team that really nobody's talking about that can do it? And I know that I've heard a couple people say it, and I think that they're spot on when they say Ohio State is right there. They play some pretty good defense, too. They'll have some stints where some of their freshmen, who they rely upon so much, whether that be on the offense and or defensive end, uh, to give them certain things that they won't be able to give them because they're going to go through a learning curve, as all freshmen do. But for the most part, I just think that it won't be long before we start hearing about how good Ohio State really is, and then they're going to start comparing them to the football team after a while and so forth. Like, that's just something that's going to happen. Watch for that team. That is clearly a top-10 team and likely a top-5 team. Without question, a top-7 team. Team. I would put them at I would put them at six. If they're gonna be outside of the top the top five, they're certainly gotta be somewhere right around number six. As far as with the eye test, not necessarily record based in who you played in RPI and Ken Palm and all this other type of nonsense. I'm just talking about with the eye test. They look 
really good, despite whoever's on the schedule. People might say, oh, they didn't play anybody. Yeah, well, Duke did play somebody and Kentucky did play somebody, but they lost to teams that were considered nobodies. Michigan State, kind of somewhat same deal with Virginia Tech, who lost a bunch of their scoring and only returned, what, like 14 or 16% of their scoring, and they don't have the head coach in Buzz Williams anymore or any of that. I told you I'm not buying Maryland. North Carolina, I don't know. I'm not going to say it's a one-man show or a one-man band, but certainly Ohio State is right there and can compete with any of the teams in the top ten because I don't know what the hell Gonzaga is just yet. Then we're going to wrap it up there. Let's do that. That's probably the best thing. It's only Wednesday. It's Turkey Day Eve. Uh, so I appreciate everybody for listening. That's for sure to the Tate's Take, man. I appreciate everybody for whoever's been praying for me and keeping me in mind, man, supporting the Tate's Take brand. Overly thankful and appreciative of that. Be sure to subscribe. Uh, we're on all platforms, man. Uh, Red Circle and you know Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the whole nine. Subscribe, please, please, please. Tell a friend. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. This dude, uh, just trying to grind, man. Just trying to grind. Just uh, being the guy who takes a lot of pride in his basketball knowledge, and I don't want to bore everybody to death, but if you just, like, forget all the bells, forget all the whistles, you just want some good, just really, really good, substantially good basketball talk and some good basketball knowledge, I like to think that that's something that I can do and talk. Not very good at many things, but those things I'm pretty good at. I always tell people, I don't know what the good Lord got me here for, but if it's to sit here and talk basketball all day long and be a savant, then guess what? I'm going to be here to do that. <laughs> I can do that much. Remember to follow along on uh, social media at Tate's Take Hoops on the Twitter, just with anything. It could be random, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. Want to talk some basketball. Want to pick brains. Want to debate. The whole nine. Feel free to do that at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. Appreciate everybody for listening to Tate's Takes, where basketball lives.